Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we are talking about films that, for some reason, people just don't talk enough about anymore. Maybe they didn't talk about them enough when the movie first came out. Maybe they're not talking about them enough now, even though they talked about them tons when it did come out. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Lens Mike Reyes. And tonight, dear readers, we are securing the galactic perimeter with a beautiful film and a great series that are connected by one singular talent. Matthew, who are we talking to tonight? We've got Lenny Abramson on with us, man. Lenny. Lenny Abramson, just, uh, you may know him from such films as Frank and from some television shows, his conversation with friends. And as luck would have it, we're talking about both of those today with him. Well, you, but you also, I mean, look, hey, people know, he, he directed Room, which got Brie Larson her, uh, her Academy Award for Best Actress. Whoa, I... No, I seriously did not connect that. You didn't know he directed Room? Oh, I that's seriously? that's that's what he did right after Frank. That was the, the film he did after. Oh, no, uh, before Frank. Wait, I can't even remember now. Exactly, I'm so stupid. I seriously did not connect that. Oh my! Well, now I love him <laughs> even more. Uh, I'm surprised you. I'm surprised you didn't realize this. Yeah, it was actually it was the one he did right after Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look, I remember that. I remembered. I remember Room. I remember the film. I just didn't remember that he directed it. Yeah. However, I will never forget that he directed Frank. So yeah, so we'll get, you know what, we'll get into it right after we, we talk to Lenny, because again, we have a lot to talk about, because we are here not just talking about Frank, which is again, one of my favorite films of this millennium. But, um, you know, he has Conversation with Friends coming out on Hulu, which is the second team up for an adaptation of a Sally Rooney uh, book uh, with Alice Birch writing, Lenny directing and producing uh, for Hulu. Normal People was the first one. And now they're back, which Conversations with Friends was Sally Rooney's first book. And so they've gone backwards now and started to adapt that. So we have a lot to talk about. So maybe we'll get Lenny in and then I'll give you the funny, not even funny story, just the slightly interesting story. For those who haven't seen it, Frank is a 2014 film and it's about a young man named John, suburban living man, working a nine to five job, you know, who just kind of really wants to be a musician. And he gets the opportunity to randomly play with a band whose name is incomprehensible, uh, filling in for keyboards on one night. And the lead singer happens to be a man named Frank who happens to wear a large, quote unquote, I'll say, paper mache head uh, that he never takes off. And after that one night, John somehow gets invited to join the band to record the new album. And what ensues from there can be only considered as absolute insanity. And I love it, and everybody must see it. All right, well, without further delay, Lenny Abramson, welcome to the Overdue Rentals Rental Counter. Come on in, come on in. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us. It's fantastic, of course, to speak to everybody, especially you, though, because uh, you've done a lot of great stuff that I love, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> thank you, that sounds good. Gee, Matt, are you a, are you a fan? This, I'm a fan. I'm a, am I to understand this correctly? Oh, okay. See, I thought this was business as usual, but you know. Well, I feel you know, very honored. As much as we are a fan, we love to talk about everything. We do have to talk very specifically because we're here to talk about conversations with friends. Sure. And I'm wondering, did the process for getting involved with this come during normal people, after normal people? Was it kind of always ready to kind of be part of this maybe series that maybe further on down the line we'll even get more of? Um, you know, it, it was actually came about in a sort of not a very um, 
not a very there was no logical kind of journey here it was a, it was what happened was I work really closely with a company called Element Pictures, an Ed Guiney producer. So they're amazing company behind pretty much everything I've done, as well as Yorgos Lanthimos films and lots of stuff. But Ed had read and I had read Conversations with Friends first because it's her first novel. And we had talked about it. Element optioned it. But they were optioning it as a feature. And I had thought really hard about it. And I couldn't think of it. I couldn't work it in my head as a feature. So they were busy with that and I was doing other things and then normal people came out and I read that and we all immediately thought that it would work as television just this kind of episodic quality of uh, of the way the story works kind of works in cycles you know repetition of cycles where things sort of deepen each time and lots yeah. of reasons why it made sense so we did that and then because that was such a kind of good experience for us all it was actually at the TCA's um television critics association in la where they sort of where networks bring out all their new stuff in front of a big room full of journalists sally was there all of us involved in normal people were there and we just had this conversation well actually the maybe the way to do uh the first book is to do it in this same way and that's the point at which i said yes i would definitely be up for doing that and we pretty much kicked into it straight away uh uh, you know, right as normal people was co was coming out, we were having the kind of script break, you know, the breaking into episodes, conversations in the whole big Zoom world of a writer's room, which <laughs> hadn't existed before that. We were just kind of figuring it out at the beginning of 2020. Was there, not was there, I guess, because again, you're talking about how that, that kind of formula for normal people, you know, could work for this as well. Because what I love about, especially watching just e even the first episode of Conversations with Friends, this idea that there's only so many visual mediums out there that can feel, you, you, can, you can feel the literary nature of them. You can yeah. feel the chapter break in them. And I'm Absolutely. wondering, is that something that you had to kind of learn to grow into building or it just came natural? Well, I, you know, watching stuff and, and, and thinking about like really, particularly about, you know, really kind of clever comedy, half hour comedy stuff or, or stuff where, where there's sort of character comedy where, not, not so much the tone would match what we we're doing here at all, very different, but just the idea of how much story, like, like half an hour of, it just allows you to focus on one kind of movement in terms of like what's happening between the characters or, or like a, a, a mood shift or a key event or a structure. You can structure that like 25 minutes worth of stuff in a very different way than you do either a feature film at one extreme or even a 45 minute or an hour long TV hour, you know, where you suddenly have pressure for plot and, and, and a B plot and a whole different way. So you can tell a story in a very pure way. And I think you can respect, like you can have quite a lot of space around a few key scenes. And that to me is, I don't know, it marries well with the experience of reading a good novel. Like there's a, there's a kind of entering into a world quality to a novel. And then these, these kind of, you know, and the ebb and flow of significant moments. Whereas, I don't know, feature, which is probably still my kind of like, you know, in my heart, that's where I'm really mm. happiest. But a feature is different. It's more like, you know, you're working towards like this, this, you're working towards a kind of single movement uh, of something into which you have to weave all of the threads. And so I don't know, you're right. There is something kind of that works about these chap, this, this kind of very chaptered uh, storytelling structure of short television episodes that I just really love. You know, I apologize, Mike, because I have a follow-up to that. I didn't want to cut over yours. <laughs> but um, 
Well, in, in that same breath, though, do you still feel that at the end of the day, because these are limited, it's not like we're coming in for five seasons of a lot of stuff, yeah, yeah. that yeah, it still yeah. feels like a movie. Because like, for instance, Mike knows, or our listeners know, that my favorite film of all time is the Singing Detective miniseries from 1986. I love it. Uh, Michael Gambon, amazing, yeah. Even though it's an episodic miniseries, to me, that's a movie. Yes. So does it feel still like a movie for you at the end of the day? Yeah, uh, it does in the sense that, like in the best possible way, that it's like I didn't direct it differently than I would have, you know, like at a scene by scene level, at a sort of, you know, granular level, I didn't work differently on normal people or conversations with friends than I would have on a feature. Okay, the schedule's a bit harder. You're, you're kind of a bit more under the cosh um, in television, but I work with brilliant producers and they will, sque- you will squeeze, abs- you're let squeeze everything that you can possibly squeeze out of the schedule and the budget. Um, and I shot on film and I worked with a great DP and, and all that stuff. And actually in the end, it's, it's a sort of filmmaking that I would, you know, paradoxically, if you put it, even if you got three hours, say, right, to tell the story as opposed to six, but even if you had three hours, it's long, that would like the best we could have hoped for the film version, which is what, what it is. It's a, you're right. It's a very long film with a kind of, European sensibility in terms of like how narrative works. It doesn't just go towards one big peak. It's a kind of oblique, um, low key style, which I absolutely love. But a movie would have at best been a sort of festival darling and, you know, played in art houses. Um, and going back to normal people now would have been a sort of, but you would not have got a, you couldn't have remotely got the audience that we got for it. So television at the moment is giving you an opportunity at least you know, some of the streamers give you an opportunity to do a sort of filmmaking over like with, with like a sort of um, screen real estate in terms of time that you just can't do on in a theater at the moment, you know, yeah. and I'm glad because, well, I'm not glad you can't do it in a theater, but I'm glad that you can, that you can do it at all, you yeah. know. Well, it also, you must also have fewer limitations when it comes to adapting such content for streaming because, I know when normal people hit, there were so many people just talking about the the scenes of intimacy and just how it what you know people were absolutely like oh, there were fans. I mean, I, I yes. that's, we'll just bluntly put it, there were fans, it, and it wasn't some sort of salacious thing. It was yeah. just some content lends itself, some stories lend themselves better to just that sort of soul bearing. Yes, and you couldn't have done that on television you know, in oh. the days of the, you can't do that on the networks. The, the networks were kind of Victorian in their, in, you know, in their their yeah. attitudes to the body and all that stuff. And it, yes, it felt like, as you say, it's really inherent, especially in both stories. Like that, and, and, and our philosophy in going into it was like, because I've done sex scenes before, but they've always been like deeply, they've always been about terrible dysfunction. You know, they've always been miserable, actually. And I was once, I remember being interviewed by a French film academic who was like scathing about, you know, said, you are <gasps> with, uh, you know, the human body or something. And I said, no, just look at the stories. They just, you know, these people are not going to have glorious sex with each other. <laughs> you know, everything else in their lives is messed up. So, um, so when I read the novel, both novels, it was like, God, there is an opportunity to be sort of joyous about this stuff in a way which is really, as you say, it's not salacious and it's not, um, 
there's no voyeuristic quality to it. It's like, it really is important to these characters what's happening at that moment, you know? And so the way we approach those scenes, and I think the reason why they arrested people is that we just said like, we're not gonna switch styles when it becomes a sex scene. You know that, like I always say that you look at a lot of movies, you know, the classic sort of Top the Gun The language thing is, curtains e flowing and the- Exactly. The you know, and nobody can watch uh, Team America World Police, the public <laughs> sex scene, and ever shoot like that again, you know? Um, and so it was a bit like, okay, here comes a car chase, and we're going to employ the car chase rules, you know? Yeah. It, it's just, no, let's just follow. So for me, it was really still all about that, you know? And the uh, the nudity, like the, 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 the sort of bigger shots of nudity were like, just, they were the right shots rhythmically for the storytelling, just like I would have used in a dialogue scene and I think because we were sort of we, we did that very kind of without any coyness or without any sort of as you say no curtains flowing nothing billowy just honest kind of really simple photographically kind of pure storytelling um I think that's why people went wow those sex scenes are very powerful uh because we didn't we didn't change what mm. the approach rather than finding some special secret to how you do a great sex scene. Now, with that in mind, how do you feel the sort of modern, it's a sort of modern advent of intimacy coordinators sort of helps that process along versus how you would like shoot that sort of thing before we we had that sort of yeah. thing? Because uh, works, we're coming out of, or we've been out of this age where you go 20, 30 years ago, it was either flowery curtains or it was very like frenetic and sort of yeah 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 exactly and, and you know the stories from set puritanical like, because of it totally and, and actually there was like in the way that i you know in both those cases you can have people shooting in like i know from talking to people who were you know in the industry for a long time in one case i heard a story about basically the director was so embarrassed about doing the sex scene that he said look to the actors you just i'm going to let you go into a room yourselves you work it out and when you're ready we'll come in and shoot it and i was thinking like you you can't do that it's just not you can't force actors to have that negotiation with each other so i am a big fan of the intimacy intimacy coordinator role i think you've got to be careful because if it shifts into sort of movement direction or whatever that's like a for me a kind of infringement on what it is that i want to be doing i've never had that issue when it's good it's good because it just takes away a sort of, like, I'll tell you what, on, so the first time I did it was on normal people. And what was really good about it was in a really simple way, first of all, some really practical stuff. Like if you work with a stunt coordinator, coordinator, they know how to make it look, if they're any good, like a punch has landed without anybody getting actually getting punched. And similarly, like if you're doing an intimate scene, how do you make it look, first of all, you got to make it look really real, but also know that like, Actually, if you put your hand there and you do that, it will look really authentic. But actually, there's a sort of way in which you're both controlling the movements and it's not like, you know, just really simple stuff and how you use padding and, and, and all that. Fine. And that's very practical. And then, but more importantly, if you're an established director or relatively established director and you're working with young cast, my big fear was that if I said, look, here's how I would like to do this scene that an actor might feel pressure to say, great, I'm really happy with that because they don't want to disappoint me and they don't want to be the person who gets in my way of what it is that I have in my head. So to have another person in that family who talks to them privately and goes, if you have the slightest discomfort, we really want to know. Yeah, That's just really healthy. And it means that I don't, 
because before I found myself going, you know what, I think I'd quite like to do this, but I just don't know if I would trust that this person will be doing it with a, with a, with a, uh, you know, an open heart or whether they're doing it because they think that's what I want. So that was really useful. I, I mean, it's really interesting. You'll get people on the other side saying, oh, it takes away all the, you know, the madness and the craziness of movie making and whatever happened to like whiskey and ego and, you know, <laughs> But I would put any, I would put the scenes that I've made up against any, um, you know, I don't know, sort of Bertolucci um, madness and say that the scenes that we've made are very authentic. And at the same time, it was done in a way that I think everyone's able to walk away and go, like for me, it's like it's modern dance or something like that, or it's like a life drawing class. And what I would say, the actors, look, we're going to, well, not we, thankfully I'm, I'm behind the camera, but what we're doing is we're using our bodies to make images. And that's a really noble thing to do, like, you know, painting a nude or whatever. It's, it's like, and we can do that without going either super coy mm. or super macho. We can do it like artists and take it seriously, but, you know, decently. Well, talking about specifically about art too because what we love to do here at overdue rentals is talk about films that we think still need a little bit more attention shown on them and your 2014 film frank is one of four or five films that came out early in the you know 2010s to 2015s where i think yeah. they're the best films of the millennium period ah uh, thank you um and i, I always I, I never got to talk to you about it and i was always wondered where your level of wanting to just make this very great piece kind of about, you know, natural talent, we'll put it as a very pure, yeah. very simple, basic version to yeah. maybe actually giving Chris Sivy his due and bringing him to light. I mean, what was so interesting about that project because it's such a hard one. It's all, it's the hard, it was the hardest project to pitch of anything that I've ever done because you have to start by saying, okay, there was once this guy, amazing talent called Chris Seavey who had a character on television, kids television when I was a kid with a big fake head and he sang songs in a nasal Mancunian accent. He sang like, uh, you know, anthems, but in this kind of silly way. Okay. And you say it's, but it's not really about him. It's about what would it be like if that were a real character rather than a comedian's alter ego. And, you know, it came via John Ronson who'd been in, Chris's original band, but had been working with Peter Strawn on, on The Men Who Stare at Goats, the brilliant writer Peter Strawn, and they'd come up with this idea of what if he was an outsider musician, which is where I came into it. And then it was set back in the 80s and we contemporized it. And did all. So really what it is, is it, it kind of mirrors in its genesis, the sort of oddness of the band itself. You know, it is a weird flight of fancy that has its origin in the genius of Chris Seavey, but isn't actually about him, but somehow channels the freewheeling creativity that he had. And, you know, it was also probably the hardest thing I've made because we recorded all the music live. Like, so we had the band really played. We had one main sound guy who was both doing production location sound and had a 16 track running and it was just it was, and we had no money and it was crazy but I, I I think my motivation for doing it was I love I've always loved slapstick I've always loved the kind of 
tender tragic comedy of of that's that you can find in characters like Frank. And I also love the message, the sort of anti-cliche, uh, you know, the cliche being, oh, madness and genius are right next door yes. to each other. And, and that leads to a kind of fetishization of, 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 of mental illness. And I, I was really moved by the Daniel Johnson uh, movie, which is still one of my favorite documentaries, where you meet his parents and after everything he said about them, you realize that just these two sweet people that were desperately trying to help their kid and the whole sort of fantasy of abuse leading to craziness leading to genius which motivates lots of johns you know like the john and frank into thinking i too must find you know i must make myself odder i must invent myself in some way to be interesting and actually what it comes down to in the end is this odd thing called talent that is impossible to really you know, define and which is just dropped on some people, whether they are able to handle it or in Frank's case, not, you know? Yeah. Well, it's something too, where like, you're just like you said, the John and Frank's, it's very important to separate him from the John Ronson because- The John Ronson, absolutely. They're for definitely different people. But I found it interesting too, because I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I think it was the second time. And I'm like, this is a movie where you're technically, because John is in, in essence, the main, he's the protagonist and antagonist. He's exactly both, that. Both in one. And I just kind of wanted, was it also for like, kind of like that story building was like, was that another difficult thing to kind of balance out? Yes. And I've, I've always been drawn to, to films where people discover that they are nothing like they think they are. You know, you know, the, the Hollywood cliche is, and, and, and in the process discovers who she really is or discovers yeah. who they really are. If I had a dollar for every time I get sent, something which is about ultimately who he really is or something. And that's usually considered a positive, but I'm really interested in the opposite where, you know, what you discover is despite your comfortable sense of you being a kind of good person and on the right side of things, you, you have these moments in life where you just go, God, I have no idea why I did that or why I am like that. And I don't know how to make sense of myself. And so the John protagonist antagonist thing is exactly, it, it's a place that I'm really interested in, but it is, it does make, storytelling really tricky because it's such a balance for us to care about him to think he's a bit of an idiot but at the same time and then and then he does sort of in 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 a way learn something good about himself even if it's only to say i don't have any talent i'm a negative influence on these people and i will take myself out of this situation but yeah i i mean it probably would have been more it would have been more successful if there was a simpler shape you know, but I wouldn't change a frame because it, like it is so many people's, it is a film that so many people really love. And I, I take that way more. I love that more than I would if it was a film that everybody kind of liked, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that that reminds me of this song. I think the show is called Title of Show. And it's the song where it goes, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. And that's just, yeah. that is the aesthetic that Frank, that I'm going to admit, Frank, was, this was a first time viewing for me. And I latched onto it in the first five minutes because of Donald Gleason. Just, we don't, we, he and Michael Fassbender, but we don't get to see them as charming yeah. enough because they're, le- yeah. they're leaned on to be perfectly great heavies or like stern yeah. sort of figures. But you've got Donald Gleason, and the minute he gets to that sort of Beatlesy riff about the woman in the red coat, it's like, oh, I, 
I, I, I love these weirdos. Like even the first Me meetings too. on the beach, it's like, I love these weirdos. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love the, I, you know, and I love outsider artists and I, I have like, I, I grew up around, I remember there's this crazy band in Dublin called the Virgin Prunes who were um, like, some of them were friends, they were sort of friends with you too, but they were the kind of art school crazy band at the time. And they had all these people who would sing with them and you could really, you know, it was just, I don't know, there's something beautiful about it. And, and also just making up songs and working with Stephen Rennix, the composer, who's my oldest friend, you know, we've been, we've been so friends hard. since we were nine years old. So hard to make up songs. Like they have to be good and bad at the same time. They can't yeah. just be, it's so hard. It's not Although, an easy look, I still have, I still have Secure the Galactic Perimeter, Perimeter on my phone playlist almost all the time. That's an amazing song. So that's my line, right? Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen and I did quite a bit of the lyrics and he did all the music and a lot of the lyrics and never have I had so much fun as being in a studio with musicians better than I had the right to be with saying hmm why don't we it's like because it's every filmmaker really wants to be in a band I think and uh that was my closest that was the closest I got to it I and also also there should be more there's two more things that well three Things that more credit needs to be given to. I'm sorry. I'm just this is flooding me like sort of a newborn high. This movie, like even <laughs> right down to what you said, the unconventional sort of oh, and the band gets big and everybody learns through their pain. It's like okay, this movie makes you ask, do we need? Does it need to be pain? And does the band need to make it? Because yes. those are the two things. Those are like the two biggest success signs and. Sometimes it works like, you know, you have a, a, a legit biopic like Love and Mercy, where yes. it works going into Brian Wilson's very real pain and very real. Yes, obstacles. absolutely. But in fiction, it's not always it's, it, it doesn't no. always have to happen. Exactly. And, you know, just the fact that the band are kind of like living a functional, creative life that and they understand that that Frank is not probably going to survive scrutiny. And that, that's yeah. sort of okay. And, uh, you know, but it's only, you know, and that does, like, I suppose it's a fairly conventional message in one sense, but we are so conditioned to believe that the only value is, is no, you know, being notorious, famous, or uh, making loads of money. And that it's really brilliant when you look at people, like, not to, to shift gear completely, but if you look at the sort of, you know, America, like say, look at Trump, right? It, what's so fascinating about him is he cannot conceive of a world where ratings are not the most important. It, like it does not compute to him. Yeah. That like, like if he's basically destroying the entire democratic fabric of the United States, if that gets an audience and that gets attention, then that's in, you can't, you know, you can't argue with it. That's the, that's the ultimate value. Doesn't matter. Got the win. And that's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a mentality that can work to your benefit, but you have to know the limitations and you have to. And you have to also have that personality to be able to handle it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's then taking that back to, to Frank, then, you know, talking about the personality, because this is not supposed to be, specifically Chris Sibby's Frank, as far as the performance goes, was there a point where maybe Michael was going, oh, I got to watch all this old footage. You're like, no, 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 no. This, you got to make something of your own for this. 
uh, he was right in there all the way from the beginning in 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 making something um kind of his own and the references that we put into the script or that we talked to him about that that kind of define who frank is is that he's somewhere between daniel johnson and captain beefheart yeah so like daniel johnson being the kind of naive childlike um actually melodically brilliant songwriter and beefheart being this insane whip cracking taskmaster you know who, who in fact did take his band off to a you know a cabin in the woods and they all went crazy and you know so that so that frank moves between furious authority and kind of um you know delicate fragility they were the two references but he found the voice and and the movements and and all that he's very he's a really gifted uh comedian michael you he's, know, a get to do that he's a great singer he's like a great between, singer that, that was one of the things i sidetracked myself from earlier his singing and Domhnall gleason singing i loved maggie gyllenhaal proving that unhingedness is a gyllenhaal family trait and just scoot mcneary being scoot mcneary oh scoot like is the best and also the most he's everything you would hope he he would be you know as a person <laughs> just incredibly funny and uh and lovely to be around and and held every like he was sort of the glue of the whole group it was amazing what, what i also love about this too is for people who want again just w- watch a movie not have to try to connect it to a source material can have that but when you go digging find it like for instance oh, yeah. the can you play cf and g that whole thing that was a real conversation yes. that happened <laughs> In real life, <laughs> that is that is a real conversation. So John has it. Uh, John Ronson has put in a load of uh, things from his from his experience playing with Chris and Chris. Uh, and so, if you want to dive in, and you'll end up going down these fabulous YouTube rabbit holes of, you know, you look up uh, Frank Sidebottom, you'll see his appearances on British Top of the Pops or kids TV shows, and. And you read more about Chris and he was actually a really gifted animator and he worked on, you know, Pingu and like he had the most, he himself had this fabulous kind of like, unfortunately cut short by illness, but this amazing creative life. And he's somebody that's, that made little darts into popular culture, you know, without ever becoming big. Um, And I think that where the film is really about him is that, like I said, that freewheeling, um, countercultural creativity that it celebrates is, in essence, who he was. Although I was so sorry I never met him because he died very shortly after we started working yeah. on the film and I didn't get to meet him. So that was a, a real regret. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard plenty of people say similar things. And I know we have to kind of let you go. So I'll, I'll try and keep this short. But going back to again, that whole, you know, ultimately what the film was trying to say compared to just not being because not being a biopic being something different i yeah. remember i i show this to everybody that i you know i haven't that i feel important in my life and i was showing it to an ex-girlfriend when we first started dating and i'm not she had some issues of her own and that when the scene came up with the parents at the end and i know you said that it came from the, the daniel johnston kind of parents but she literally said that that's it that's right everything that's that they so said good. there was so on point so you're bringing a lot to a lot of people through this. no that's great i mean we really i thought that scene was the one we put most effort into and that thing they say in a real way it would have been he was just really gifted and it would have been easier if he didn't have all these terrible um constraints and 
yeah, that, that I'm really proud of that scene. And, 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 and actually, if you do talk to people who've sort of suffered in any way with similar things, it's always the biggest test. And it's always, you know, very gratifying if people feel that you haven't just completely fucked it up. Oh, yeah, I mean, we I don't think we value the connection between talent and neurodivergence enough. I, I, I yes. think we like to exploit it in in fictional confines as sort of draw, drawing everything together. But that's right. I don't right. think we value sort of. I, I guess it's just it's sort of the, one of the way, healthiest ways of dealing. It's like I yeah I exactly exactly. I mean, we like for me, I'm going to do some my next thing. I'm going to do some writing. And it's really like it's it it's a form of as well as like my actual work, it's a form of kind of I don't know mental hygiene or like you know it's just a way of dealing with all the kind of noisiness in your own head, and the and the things which are, um, which are sort of negative and turning them into something else. Um, but I still would it's it's it, like. I, I do know some, I, I know some very happy artists. It's amazing when you meet one, it's very rare. Um, and I always feel like, how the hell does that work? And God, I'm jealous. But yeah, you're right. It, 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 it is a sort of, it's, it's, it's one really positive thing you can do with the stuff that, that normally drags you down. Lenny, thank you so much. I wish we could keep you here forever, but obviously we gotta let you go. Thank that you was again. a pleasure guys, an absolute this pleasure. It's been an Talk honor. To... Please come back. Stay safe. We'll do. Yes. I will. I'll come back. We'll do a, a longer one sometime. Anytime. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Lenny Abramson, everybody. Again, did not get enough time with him. No, yeah. We did. Well, hey, look. And, you know, and honestly, you know, we were talking about having come on to talk about something else. He was ready to come back to talk like a whole hour just about Frank still even more because there are things that i wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about we'll get I into would a little do another later. hour with him on frank to be honest yeah exactly well that's the thing exactly or Look. even room because room might be another case where it was pretty hot yeah around the time that it came out and now it's just kind of like brie larson's kind of more known for captain marvel um it's something look i actually did i had a small sit down with lenny and jack rayner because before frank they made a film called what richard did which is actually you know, I can't, for some reason, I can't now think of the American equivalent, but it's like the story that they make you read in high school. It's a cautionary tale uh, to try and get you to, to make sure that you live your life right. It's the Irish version of that. And so they made a film out of that. And I, it was a Tribeca Film Festival, I think it was 20, 2012, I guess, I want to say. So I sat with him and Jack and spoke about that. Then Frank come at, came out and I'm like, wait a second. I'm obsessed with this goddamn movie. It's one of my favorite things. I already talked to Lane. Let me talk to him again. Didn't get the chance to talk to him. And now, Mike, you know this story, but for everybody else, I'll tell the story. I was a little upset because I raved my head off about this film. But for some reason, I did not get invited to this random party they were having on release day here in New York City, where not only was, you know, cast and the crew all there, but they all got up on stage, including Fassbender in the Frank head, and performed I Love You All. Because they because they performed the music in the movie. Oh my God, and I missed, I didn't get to go. So being able to finally talk to, to Lenny about Frank makes me so, so, so happy. I'm sad for you because that must have been a fantastic, that would have been a fantastic experience. Yeah. And, but what we can definitely say is a fantastic experience is Frank, because this was the first time I saw it and I already feel like it needs to be more of a part of my, I need to have a copy in my library. Again, I, 
I do. I love these weirdos. I and do. I love the, 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 this is sort of a subgenre that the mid, like the, 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 ah, the, like a subgenre that the 2010s kind of gave us, like these indie rock comedy, indie rock European comedies. Like you had Frank, to a certain extent, Yesterday falls into that thematically, mm-hmm. but not as indie. But then you had a movie like Tonight You're Mine, where like the, the whole plot is these two people, I think they're at Glastonbury and they're handcuffed together. And they have to like, what, like these quirky indie comedies that sort of centered on lo-fi music. Well, look, Frank is, it's forgetting about just lo-fi music or just indie comedies about rock music, whatever you want to call it. Now, I can't remember... I, I mentioned it during the interview that there was like four or five films around the time that are all of these kind of more indie films that I think are the best movies of, of the millennium or some of the best movies of the millennium. And I think I've talked to you about it with you outside of the web of the podcast, but yeah, it's like there's Frank, there's Submarine, there's The Guard, there's Slow West. Mm, there's some other stuff, but those are probably, those are the four, like, those movies all came out in a good like two to three year span, all mean a lot and not a lot of people have seen them, but we'll talk about those others another time, of course, because Frank, man, it's just, look, we didn't get to talk about everything with, with Lenny. We got to talk about it a lot, surprisingly, but there's something that we didn't, that I didn't get to bring up that I thought was interesting too, because in talking about my ex and that final scene and how she felt about it, well, we didn't, you know, we put, he pointed out, you know, a lot of the stuff about the idea of like these parents who tried, but it's more so what I think what she was pointing at is like that specific line where, because the father was saying that I made him the first head and that's the worst thing you can do is kind of pander to this kind of thing. And that's where she was connecting to more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting to kind of, because again, in connecting it with the conversations with the people as well, conversation with, conversation with friends as well, is that for anybody who doesn't know the story or is first watching it, you know, it's like you get these really interesting, very well thought out um, personifications of introverts and extroverts. And it's just like kind of, but it's delicate and it's not, it's not telling you everything. So just like Frank, it's like, it gives you the information, but it's just like, it's true to what's real. And I appreciate that kind of stuff. I went on a rant there and I don't know if I ever made a point I was trying to make, but yeah. No, you made a point. Frank is a very human, very real movie because again, something I brought up in the conversation, band movies always seem to be about the quest to achieve greatness. And if you do that standard Pat storyline, they get to South by, they perform, they're yeah. big, everybody's hugging. But South by is what really fucks everything up because the band abandons things and then it's just Frank and John and that does not work for Frank. Well, yeah, because John really fucks things up. Let's be honest. John fucks yeah. things up. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's always the character that you're supposed to root for in these movies. And while he's not actively vilified, we still see the point of, okay, you had the best intentions and you really wanted to go for this, but that's not what everybody wants. That's not what everybody needs. And to a certain extent, are you really cut out for this? Well, I don't even know if he had the best intention. I mean, he's a very selfish person. He clearly didn't understand what's going on. He just made it, you know, but that's the whole point because like he's that, again, I don't want to keep using the term, but he's the personification of that idea of thinking that genius only comes from torture and that you have to, that, that all of these people in life 
basically had to have some guideline that they followed, even if it wasn't on, on purpose. And that's just not the case. And, and again, I understand both from Chris Sivy himself and the Daniel Johnson and Kevin Beefheart references that they, 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 they use to kind of create the script. I understand where it makes sense, but it's like, it doesn't need to be any of these specific names at all. It's just that you just look at people and it's not about, because it's not about having it as far as style goes or personality goes, because I think some of the best stuff out there, no matter how eloquent one day I could be about it or I want to be about it, you just can't put your fucking finger on it, man. It's just it, because it just exists because people, certain people have, have brains that are wired in a way. They don't even know why they do it. They just do it and it works. No, yeah, it's just sometimes art really is a cosmic fluke. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes maybe you don't need a keyboard player because that seems to be the position in this band that is most harmful and most prone to harm. <laughs> it's almost like being- Final Taps drummers. Uh, what'd you say? Final Taps drummers. I was going to mention that. <laughs> I was that literally one of the notes is like, wait a minute. This is a very Spinal Tap drummer scenario here. Where, but but played so wonderfully and dourly, especially in the case of Don, because I love Scoot McNary. Yeah. And great. just that whole story play out. Just it, 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 it's heartbreaking, but it isn't. Again, it's, this isn't a movie that's trying to pluck your heartstrings and try to go for sentimentality that's not earned. By this point, you know that Don is a person that has tried to kill themselves before. You know that he is a troubled person, but at the same time, he's this nice guy. Like he's, he's John's introduction to the band and he's sort of this, this seasoned old salt. And I, I, I just, I love that sort of Scoot McNary charm that he gets to, to put on full display there. But it's and, also, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, I was grasping for another straw, but I saw that you had something, so. Well, but it, no, because that's, it's also, it opens the door to talk about the opposite side of that idea of people who just have it. Because there's also people who, just like we we're saying, you know, like you can't put your finger on it even from why you like something because Don has the talent himself, but he just doesn't think he does. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. he can't even notice it in, 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 in his own self. So it's like, just because it's there, if you're not willing to kind of see it in your own mind a little bit, it's going to get lost and it's just going to get forgotten about too because that's what Don does, Don. Just like when he, when he does go and play, you don't have to necessarily like what he played, but it, it, it's obvious, it's clear. It's like, oh no, that's good. That was good. What are you talking about, Don? He's like, nah, it's crap, it's crap. Yeah, and then sometimes it's those people that are sort of more valued, especially in fiction, then yeah. the people who are like, oh, I know I'm the greatest. Like, I know I've got something here, man. It's like no one really, they believe in themselves as a band, but they don't really toot their own horns all that loudly. And like, even with Frank, like Frank can be a, a very goal-focused person and give direction, but at the same time, he wasn't being a prick about it. Like he's not the typical lead singer who's like, cracking the whip on people like he believes in people especially because they believe in him yeah well i mean but there are i mean because there are you know he does push them to the limits and vet no and all this other stuff and he's like he is kind of like in some ways not to just use it because it's there but taskmaster <laughs> um but you yeah, know but 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 coming down face to face to mask uh um yeah he's like you know he's caring he wants he wants to 
it's not even that he wants to pull people out of their depression or anything like that. It's just the way he sees things when he can be comfortable with himself is what other people need to pull themselves out. But it's not intentional on his part in a lot of ways, but it is a person who is caring. He identifies with others who seem to be broken or disillusioned because he understands that whole thing himself. And it's just, he likes to build, he builds this family in essence. And just these people that they may not always get along, they may get a little hot tempered, but nobody ever really disowns anyone totally. And I think this is one of Michael Fassbender's best performances. I think it's one of Domhnall Gleeson's best. Everybody gives such a wonderful performance in this. And I love the fact that Maggie Gyllenhaal just proves that unhingedness is a family trait when it comes to acting. All right, here's, here's, a, here's what I'm going to say in terms of, and this is going to a little bit more of that idea of us trying to maybe discover why films weren't as big as they should have been or not as talked about as they should have been, so on and so forth. Because I remember coming out of my screening of Frank, and this was, I saw it at the Magno screening room. Ah, uh, rest in peace, Magno. So it was only, you know, like 50 seats or sort of like that. And there's, there was 20 of us there at that screening. And again, we're all colleagues and everything like that. And I won't say who it was, but we're walking out. And this person says to me, it's like, but they just covered, they covered that beautiful Fassbender face the whole movie. Well, he's just wearing the mask the whole movie. Why did they have to do that? I'm like, you just don't get it. You just completely missed the point, especially if that's what you're going to go, even as a joke, if that's what you're going to complain about, not even complain, if that's going to be your comment. It's like, you shouldn't be doing this. Personally, you shouldn't be doing this. I didn't no. say that, of course, because I'm trying to be level-minded yeah. and trying to just enjoy the fact that I just saw one of, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um but yeah, it's like give the man more fucking credit for being able, being able to pull off that performance under that head, and then oh, we're gonna have to ADR you on this. Oh sure, I'll just do it again. I remember what I did that day. I'm just yeah because I can't think of any fastbender performance I've seen with him being so animated and just like free flowing with his body kind of thing. And it's just like I want to see I want to see him do a slapstick movie at this point. Oh yes, please. Like we see him. I mentioned this before. We've seen him play so many good serious characters or heavies like i love him in steve jobs i love him in the alien prequels but he's usually cast as like these stern very like well-cut people like even magneto and x-men yeah he's just he is that authoritative figure that you either trust or you fear but frank is just and same thing with domino gleason but they get to let loose in frank and it's like this charm of theirs that they always have on tap. And then another movie that I love that I don't think people talk about enough is About Time. And Don Yes, yes I Bell. agree. About Time for, especially for the type of movie it is, um, should, 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 should be something that all audiences, I don't care who the fuck you are, it's like, you should enjoy that movie. Just sit and enjoy that movie, yeah. Look, if you love Love Actually, it's another Richard Curtis film. And uh, also, if you love Richard Curtis's episode of Doctor Who, you'll love this episode. You'll love that movie. I, Just, I will. Another funny story about Domhnall Gleeson, too, actually, is because I've interviewed him once, but it was before he finally started getting roles of his own. So because it was for Harry Potter. Um, and, um, you know, at the time he was he did plenty of stuff. He was, especially, he was still doing the sage work with his dad at that time. Is but this like, the same interview that you got with Michael Gammon? Same day, yes, but different different grouping. Uh, it was him yeah. and Bonnie. Bonnie, what's what Bonnie's last name? Bonnie Lewis. Sorry, 
Bonnie Lewis. I don't know. Is that a, I don't know. Is that her last name? The one who played Ginny Weasley. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Here. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. yeah, that it was the two of them together, and um, so it was before he had like a lot of roles to his own name that were like leading roles or bigger, you know, most, um, you know, Bonnie Wright. Bonnie Wright. Yeah, Lewis didn't sound right. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, Apologies, so, right. So, um, but what happened was after I saw Frank, of course, I'm like, yes, yes, here we go. I was on, I was online a few weeks later uh, to see, I don't remember what it was. It was some bad horror movie. We were checking in. It was at the Regal on 42nd Street. So we're all online to check in. This guy walks in and he's like looking around and he's looking at the table. And I'm like, this is Tom McGleason. And I think he was in town to do some sort of junket thing or like a uh, press thing uh, for, for, the, for the Revenant, I think is what was going on. And um, so it was maybe not a whole year later, but close, not, not half a year later, but maybe a year later, but close enough. And I'm just like, I have a plus one open. Let me see if I can stop him if he wants to come see the movie. But he, he walked out and I just, I just, I just thought it was funny. Oh man, talk about misconnections. <laughs> but yeah. You, you, you have something to do? Come see the shitty uh, horror movie with me. I don't <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he'd be a hoot to watch like a movie like that with. Like he just seems to have that personality. And I, I talked to him once and it's for Peter Rabbit too. Okay. And it was fantastic. It was him and Rose Byrne. And he told me this wonderful story about how there's a scene in Peter Rabbit too, where they're like going nuts on a train. And I forget why she, like they're like stealing as many things as they can. Cause it's like a posh train. And they're like, Oh my God, grab everything you can. Like, you know, like you're when you're in a fancy hotel and you grab all the toiletries, but amped up for comedy. Yeah, and he yeah. told me this story about how Rose Byrne went at it so hard that she was pulling at one of the light fixtures and it was actually wired in and everything. And at one point they had to, I think they were like trying to like calm it. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, cut, 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 cut. We can't let, no, this is going to be some serious pain. But he, he just tells such wonderful stories and just, well, I Frank, love it. man. Frank. I love the fact that he's, yeah, I love the fact that he's become somebody that, I see people like on the street talking about movies and stuff like that. And like, they know his name. Like, I don't know if they know that he's, you know, related to, 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 to Brendan Gleeson and all this other stuff, you know, because I've, I, you know, when I talk to Brendan, of course, I always bring up Donald because <laughs> I just, I love talking about the two of them, but um, I love that he's, that he has carved out a niche for himself and that's great. But yes, Frank was one of those early ones because he had already had his cameo and true grit if you can call it a cameo, because people didn't know him as well there and then, then, but like Frank was when he was really starting to get that name for himself of just being, this is his own, this is his own personality, his own persona. Nobody's trying to connect him to anybody else. He's just a good actor doing good stuff. Yeah. It's not like a nepotism sort of thing here. It's like the Gleason family is just really lucked into, well, not lucked into, but just have really busted their asses into getting their names known. You know, what we didn't also say, though, when we were talking to Lenny and should be mentioned is because, you know, Carla Azar is the drummer in the film and now she's a real life drummer. But and she's had plenty of work before Frank, plenty of work after. But right when Frank came out is when she started being the full time drummer for, for Jack White. So she was building a lot more of a bigger name for herself with mainstream audiences who may have not known her because of that at the time Frank came out, which is another great thing to kind of like maybe help get more eyes on the movie, too. But, you know, it's. There's a lot of talent in this in this movie. No, I mean just 
yes no i, I mean i mean that, that no was not negating you it's like yes that just it is a film that oozes charm oozes talent there's even a connection to another film i want to cover on the show peter strawn is a co-writer of this film he also co-wrote tinker taylor soldier spy yeah, yeah he did and just I, I i i still struggle to look at this and it's like million dollar budget 1.9 million gross but then again this is what i th- all right i don't think enough credit's given to magnolia pictures because this is a magnolia release and in the, like the 2010s yes magnolia was like one of the names magnolia to- especially also the magnet subdivision yes yeah oh, I, think, I think they helped with vhs in the beginning um magna had troll hunter magna had tucker and dale versus evil magna ah! had there's a lot of stuff they had that was That's like crazy. and i'm not trying to like take it off magnolia now too but magna had rubber they just it, it was that wonderful age where it it, it it was sort of these were indie movies that didn't play in a lot of theaters but you didn't have to worry because vod the burgeoning vod market was like very kind to them they were also really like really prolific when it came to dvds and blu-rays it's like i caught so many of these movies on dvd and blu-ray and early netflix streaming and loved them to death yeah no it's they were just a brand like the signal was another one of theirs that was a real fun i'm trying i keep looking behind me because i also want to see i can't remember now and maybe I'm wrong. Was the perfect host theirs as well? Oh, oh, I think it was. I gotta take a look. Oh, folks, um, if you didn't happen to know, we have also done the perfect host as an episode with uh, yep. Chase Crawford, which you should go back to our back catalog and uh, look for that because it is another fantastic episode. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to think of the, the movie that he taught. Uh, the Killing of Two Lovers, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for, for claim. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for claim. Yeah. Oh, just seriously, if you get a chance, go and listen to that episode because we had a really deep conversation. With and him. we have to have him. That was a Magnolia picture release. Yeah, you go. And we have oh. to have him back to talk about uh, being there because he brought up being there during our interview, and I want, I want, oh, I want yes. to talk about that movie. Oh, obviously. Look, we're not just here to promote ourselves and to promote future episodes, but we do also promote talent that we love and films that we love because that's what Overdue Rentals is all about picture us as that video store that still exists the light is still on and we have a copy of frank waiting for you and, and our staff picks come it? from our mouths that's they do and matthew we have a copy of frank here what what should people do with that copy of, of uh frank? you should rent it watch it and then cross frank off your overdue rentals list yes because it's just it is a warm blanket of a film i believe it is i believe i rented it from YouTube. I don't remember if I rented it or if it was free. Was but it on Hulu? It, or was it? Look, however you rent it, it's worth it. Because <laughs> it's just, if you like music. Oh, it's on like, Amazon Prime right now. Excuse me. Forgive uh, me. Yes. So just go ahead, watch it on Amazon Prime, rent it. Because honestly, it's a movie about people that believe music is sacred. But if um, you're going to, uh, yes, yeah. Frank, go to Amazon Prime to watch Frank. But then you can also go to Hulu to watch conversation with conversations with friends starting on May fifteenth. Ah, yes, because you know episodic television. We're in a we're in a wonderful era of episodic television, and if you can get people like Lenny Abramson to direct your adaptation of a Sally Rooney novel, do it. Just just do it. Don't think. And then while you're while you're in between watching conversations with friends, 
or Frank find us? And in fact, Mike, where can people find us? It's a very good question. I've always wondered where I could find myself. And when we're not performing at the South by Southwest Music Festival, uh, you can, oh, well, we're not going to be performing there, but if you want to invite us for a podcast spot, we would love to cover, we would love to hang. Robert Rodriguez can come bring Quentin Tarantino. I don't know. We'll do Grindhouse. But anyway, in the meantime, you want to find the episodes that we have done. And if you want to find the latest uh, announcements for what we're going to be doing, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want, email us love letters, suggestions, and uh, lyrics that will fit an iambic pentameter to the noise of the Austrian goat, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. Sorry, folks, I was trying to find some sort of reference that tied into the movie perfectly. I used my Secure the Galactic perimeter early. I probably should have just used it now, but... Get out of the path of the king! (laughs) What I am not in doubt of is the fact that if you want to find us on the internet, since you're already there, you can find our show wherever you ethically source your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible. Again, Audible. We should probably look into an Audible sponsorship because they seem to be easy to come by depending on how many podcasts you listen to. But also that's a place where you can listen to the entire James Bond catalog with celebrity narrators like Hugh Bonneville reading Live and Let Die, if I remember correctly. I do know that David Tennant ran on Her Majesty's Secret Service, so I'll stand by that one. But you can listen to us on all those platforms. And since you are on, still on the internet, told you to go to bed 20 minutes ago, but you're still on, that's fine. I want to hear the new Lady Gaga Top Gun song too. You can rate, review, and subscribe to our dear show wherever you find us so the rental counter can stay open, so we know what to give you as an audience and what you can give us as fans, because we're all about giving here. Bye-bye. Bye.